And there's so many ways to keep in touch. And like you said, it doesn't have to be in a nuisance type of way. It's make sure you're connected on LinkedIn, ask people to endorse you there. Just send a check-in email every now and then. There are so many more ways to be able to keep in touch with people and to really just strengthen relationships and just keep them alive and think about how you can help others too. And that way it doesn't just feel like a one-way street. Welcome to the Start Right Here podcast. We put the spotlight on BIPOC beauty pros and their paths to success. We share their stories along with actionable tips that you can apply to your career or your life. We invite you to subscribe, rate, or review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or share it with a friend. Now, let's get to the show. Hi, everybody. Today, I want to talk about having transferable skills. And my guest today is a wonderful example of how one adapts their skill set to meet different opportunities. Amanda Flores went from working at an editorial at Family Circle to Latina to corporate at L'Oreal and now is the editorial director of Prose. And we're going to learn a little bit about her career journey and the advice she has for somebody who would like to do the same. Welcome, Amanda. Thanks so much for having me. I'm honored to be here. Great. So I'd like to get started with fun questions, especially because we have former beauty editors. I mean, I'm peripherally in beauty, but I love to ask these questions. And I actually send my questions ahead of time because this is the hardest question for most people. (laughs) What is the first beauty product you ever tried or purchased? Yeah, these are definitely good questions. And being in the beauty industry, you still have to stop and think about it. I feel like maybe more so because we're in the beauty industry and are so bombarded. But the first beauty products I probably played around with were Mary Kay. So my mom used to sell Mary Kay when I was younger. And I'd sneak into her stash and poke around and play with all the eyeshadows and the lip colors and just have fun testing. And this was before I wore makeup. But the first product that I ever purchased that I remember is the Clinique skincare system. Do you remember that one? The cleanser, toner, moisturizer. Oh, yes. Yeah. So that was probably it. And I remember feeling very grown up when I got it. It It's my first skincare regimen. And I worked at Macy's when I was in college on 34th Street. And when they used to have the PWPs and the GWPs and the line for the Clinique skincare when they had the special gifts used to be all down the aisle of the first floor because it was so popular. For sure. Yeah. I mean, who didn't have that? That was amazing. And you wanted the cute little makeup bag that went with it or whatever the gift with purchase was at the time. What's the latest product you tried besides the products you work with? I recently rediscovered, it wasn't a first try, but rediscovered this matte lip stain by Maybelline. It's called the Superstay Matte Ink, and the, the shade I wear is Lover. But it's amazing. It's kind of a neutral color, but it looks different on everyone. And just love the long wear of it. It's matte, but it's not dry. It's just, it's perfect. Oh, that's fantastic. I haven't thought about Maybelline in a minute. So that's a good one. 
Yeah. And, you know, of course I work at a beauty company, I work at a haircare brand, so I'm constantly trying new things. You know, our R&D team is constantly cooking up a lot of fun products. So there's never, never lack for trying something new. I think once a beauty editor, always a beauty editor in some way, except for I'm not a fan of having a whole lot of product in my house anymore, (laughs) like extra product. I think once you go past that, I don't want to say hoarding, but almost of beauty closet world, you definitely kind of trim down your selection and have your go-tos. Absolutely. So what's the beauty advice you live by or leave alone? Beauty advice I would live by is to pay attention to your eyebrows. They really do change your face. I was thinking about this earlier and just, you know, when cartoonists are using exaggerated facial features to show emotions for their characters, it's always the brows that have the most change. And I think some people are probably afraid to dabble with eyebrow makeup, specifically pencils, because one wrong move and you go from surprised to happy to sad, depending on how you draw it, fill them on. But I say, don't be afraid, go bold, draw outside the lines. I mean, I'm a product of the 90s and early 2000s, so you know my brows are not this full without the help of a brow pencil. Right. And I have fallen in love with the Mad Love Brow Stamp. Have you ever used that? It has pencils and you stamp the color on. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah. See, that's perfect for people that are scared of the eyebrow pencil. Exactly. Let's get into the nitty gritty of your career journey. Was the beauty industry a destination or a detour for you? As a Latina, I think beauty has always been part of the story and it's always been in the picture and something that was always in my life in some way. But I don't think I ever thought about it as a career or something that I could make a career of in the way that I have. You know, and it's funny because you grow up reading beauty articles and flipping through magazines. And even when I eventually realized that I wanted to work in magazines, I never really connected the dots to working in beauty specifically. Like I always knew I wanted to be a writer. So growing up, I (laughs) wanted to be an author like Judy Bloom. So did you want to write fiction? Exactly. I wanted to write fiction novels that spoke to that teenage angst, you know, that really connected with audiences on on that very emotional level. And who knows, maybe I still will. But I ended up studying magazine journalism in college and actually also French, which is funny because little did I know I'd work for L'Oreal and Pros, which is also founded by uh, French beauty pros. You know, I knew I wanted to work in magazines, but not beauty specifically. And it wasn't until an internship at at Redbook in their beauty department that this whole new world really was opened up to me. I don't even think I knew what a beauty closet was before I joined. And yeah, I fell in love immediately. It was a perfect mix of writing and creative visual expression that, like I said, I just hadn't really thought about. But I'm really excited and happy that that's the magazine internship that I landed at. And how did you get the internship? So it was a four credit internship that was listed through the journalism department. And so you took it instead of a class for that semester. You know, I was really fortunate to go to school in the city. And that definitely lends itself to more of these opportunities for um, these in-office positions. Of course, Now, things have moved to such a virtual digital state that you can be an intern 
from anywhere in the country. So I think that that's also a really great change and shift that's happened for people to broaden opportunities to more, yeah, to more students. The one thing about internships is leveraging your relationships and staying in touch with people. Did you try to do that? Yeah, for sure. So Krista Bennett-DeMaio was the associate beauty editor at the time, and she actually wrote me a recommendation letter, which back then was actually printed out like 100 copies of it. And I sent that letter with all of my applications for jobs later on and whenever possible. You know, she knew somebody that worked at the magazine I was applying to, you know, she put in a good word for me. And that definitely helped, you know, having that connection and staying in touch for sure. How did you get your first full-time job? My first full-time job was at Women's World. It's a weekly magazine. It's, it was in New Jersey. So I did the reverse commute as, you know, getting into magazines, especially then because it was just really just print. So there was a limited amount of jobs, super competitive. So I would have done whatever it took to make it work. So yeah, I was at Women's World. I worked with two amazing women who really showed me the ropes and it was a weekly and it was a tiny little team, small but mighty. And I got to do a little bit of everything. And so that was definitely a really great experience as well. So kind of taking it a little bit to the next level where I was producing photo shoots and doing some copy and some fact checking. There was always something to do and we were always busy, which I love. Yeah, I prefer that as well. When a team is small and the brand of whatever it is is small, you get to dip your toe in lots of different areas. When the team is very big, you got to silo yourself and just do whatever's in your silo. (laughs) What do you think you learned at Women's World that set you up for success later? So definitely that introduced me to every aspect of beauty journals that I would later come in contact with. So it was the photo shoots, which was a really good foundation to have for my magazine career later on. And then even for my brand life and then also multitasking. So like I mentioned, it's a weekly, there was definitely a hustle needed to get everything done. And also that mentality of no job being too small. I mean, you could be organizing the beauty closet one minute and writing copy the next, and we all rolled up our sleeves and we did what we needed to do to get the job done. And I think that entrepreneurial rolling up your sleeve mentality, I mean, I've used that in almost every position I've had since because I've worked in many smaller teams, I've worked on larger teams, but you always need that foundation to fall back on. Well, I couldn't agree more. Was it socializing with other beauty editors that allowed you to move to Family Circle? Yes. So going to Family Circle was also, again, I knew someone who worked at Meredith and they were able to send my resume and application to someone that they knew at Family Circle, which they were at a different magazine, but it's all connected. So definitely, this was actually a journalism school connection that I tapped into. So definitely good to keep in touch with people that you're meeting school, even if it's, I mean, this was years later and I was able to tap into that and use that connection to just get your foot in the door because sending in a blind application can be very hard, especially with these types of competitive roles. Right. What was different about Family Circle? Talk to me about the challenges and the ramp up going from Women's World Weekly to Family Circle, which both mass publications, but 
still operated differently, I would imagine. Yes. And there was also a little bit of a twist because I worked in fashion too. So our team was beauty and fashion and I was doing both. So I came in as a beauty and fashion editorial assistant. And so my days looked very different. One day, you know, could be working very closely with our beauty editor and pulling samples and getting ready for a walkthrough with our editor in chief. And then the next day we could be pulling clothes for a photo shoot and I would be booking the hairstyles and makeup artists for that. So it was a bigger role for sure. And that there was more to do. The amount of content that we produced was more as well. We had a lot more pages in the magazine. And then, yeah, it was a slightly bigger team. So to your point earlier, you do have your set roles and everyone kind of knows what they have to do. Eventually you moved to Latina. How long did you stay at Family Circle before you went to Latina? I was at Family Circle for about four years. And I eventually rose the ranks within that team as well. Um, Yeah, then I made my way over to Latina. Now, very vastly different experience, I'm going to imagine. Yes. Mass market, trying to talk to everyone. And then being very, very specific and culturally relevant at Latina. So what were the differences for you and what gave you joy about that job? Yeah, I mean, this was really dream job. At Latina, what was very different is that there was this very clear overarching goal that everybody felt to really celebrate our culture and everything we did tie back to that. There was a deep sense of pride in putting out every issue that we all felt on a very personal level. And I think it's somewhat missing at a general market publication. I mean, of course, everyone has pride in their work and you want to put out quality content. That for sure is the same. But when you're producing a magazine and Latina is really more than just a magazine, it's a brand in itself, that people count on you and on that magazine to truly reflect their culture in a genuine way. And you feel a responsibility to get it right. You feel that sense of duty to your audience to make sure that you're delivering on that promise of just celebrating the culture. And from a career standpoint, the move was also a bigger role for me. Much bigger role, right? Yeah. I went from being a junior level editor in a team of five to heading up a department and was in full control of what we put out, which of course is amazing and also a lot of responsibility, but it was great. I loved it. Like I said, it was a dream job for me. So what was the learning curve like to be a boss all of a sudden to have a staff? Yeah. I mean, you definitely want to tap into your resources. So it's good to have people in your network that you can talk to and ask for advice and tips. And I was surrounded by a lot of amazing senior editors that were able to kind of guide me on that journey. But also, you also have to rely on some of your own instincts as well. And I think just being in the beauty industry for the amount of time that I had been, you have that instinct. You know what people want to read, you know what they want to see, and then layer on top of that, the cultural aspect that I grew up with, it was all kind of useful together. Were your family and your mom excited by you being at Latina? Yeah, mom, my cousins, you know, everyone. You know, we all grew up reading the magazine. And I think a lot of people 
in the Latinx community would say something similar, but growing up, the magazine really spoke to me and it was the first magazine of its kind and that it celebrated my heritage and my culture, but it was also in English, which was different because it really acknowledged the fact that first or second generation Latinas also needed a place to see themselves. And I think working for the magazine made me feel like I was part of something really important. You know, like I was handed a torch and had to keep it burning. You know, it was just like, this is a legacy magazine that so many people look up to. Yeah. I feel the same way about, so I wrote for Essence and Ebony before I worked at Essence. And I worked at Elle for eight years and that was fine. And I just wrote about this in my newsletter. So this is funny. People that were really close to me that were not in the industry, they kind of knew what Elle was, but they didn't know. So when I got my first byline in Essence, my mother said, oh, I got to tell all my friends. Like, this is a really big deal. I'm going to show everyone. Like, it's like, uh, have you seen all the bylines I've had before? It's like almost like, hey, you made it. And I knew the significance. I was also the editor-in-chief of Heart and Soul before I went to Essence. And one time, well, more than once, people came up to me on the bus and talked to me. Like one time I was buying um, underwear in Victoria's Secret. I was with Trish White and, she, and this woman came up to me, started talking to me. And she said, you should put this in your editor's letter. By <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. I mean, I love that. It's like, it's a big deal within the cultural aspect. It's amazing. I mean, it, I love that these magazines even existed. It's great. Yes, absolutely. And there's an intimacy with the audience. I think that's the biggest difference, the intimate connection with the audience, because you are part of the community where general market, you're speaking into the void, maybe. Mm -hmm. I totally get that. I remember when one of the speaking engagements that I had to do for Latina was with, it was a co-branded experience with CVS and it was in Austin, Texas. And the event centered around me giving kind of a trend report, you know, these are the latest beauty trends that we're seeing. And then people could experiment with makeup after and talk to me. And they really did feel this intimate connection with me that I was representing this really important brand to them. Whereas like you said, it for the general market, it's a little bit less of that intimate connection between the person and the brand itself. Exactly. What made you move to corporate beauty? Yeah, that was definitely quite the shift. I loved my time as a beauty editor. Like I said, it opened up experiences I had never dreamed of. I mean, of course, I got to write about a topic that was fun and interesting to me, but I also got, and you experienced the same thing, but we got to meet and interview celebrities. We went on trips to Mexico, to Paris, like this lifestyle just over the top sometimes. And on a day-to-day basis, getting to play with beauty products all day. So I loved it. I loved my time as a beauty editor, but I was looking for a new challenge. What was the next thing? I'd been in magazines for over eight years, and I still wanted to do something that used my writing and editing skills. But I also knew it was time to take it to the next level, which I didn't think I could get by moving to another beauty magazine role. I also knew that I wanted the next role to be more digital. So when I made the move, it was in 2015. Of course, there was online editorial. It existed, but it was still growing. 
and that huge shift to digital hadn't totally happened yet. You were kind of at the forefront of it in terms of doing like brands editorial. Yeah, I mean, we were all kind of like still mastering Instagram at the time, which is funny to think back on. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, going to a brand, you know, I felt not only could I possibly find an opportunity that was more digital and, you know, expand that skill set, but what would it look like in a completely new environment? And I definitely got that new environment when I made the move from the small staff Latina to basically the biggest beauty company in the world. Exactly. The thing about your role there is that you had lots of levers of things going on. So again, there had to have been a ramp up, but at least the content part was something you were familiar with, but even how you approach content had to be different. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I don't think I really knew what I was getting myself into. I mean, the role as it was advertised and what I took on was to run makeup.com, which is L'Oreal's editorial site, and it covers all of their 30 plus brands. And the role would shift even more from that after I joined. But I knew going into the role that it would be different from what I'd done previously. When I interviewed, my then would be manager talked a lot about how I would be managing a tech development partner as they relaunched makeup.com. And I remember thinking, what? (laughs) You know, it was a whole new language and world that I wasn't familiar with. And I was completely upfront with her in the interview process. And she later told me that that's one of the reasons that she hired me because I was totally honest about my experience, but she could tell I was up for the challenge, you know, and when I speak to other editors who are looking to make the shift from pure editorial to more branded content, I often feel that same hesitation that I felt. You know, can I do this? Am I capable? And the answer is always 100% yes. There's so much I learned on the job, but what is hard to teach are the skills that we all have as editors and the ability to tell a really good story, to connect with your audience in a genuine way. And that's not something that's easily taught in business school, for example. And it's a skill that brings a lot of value to brands. And I would encourage anyone who's thinking to make the shift to remember that. That's a good one. Did you have to talk about stacks, like technical stacks with your technical partner, the kind of stacks of software that they were using and that kind of thing? Yeah. I mean, everything. Like I had to learn to speak to engineers who are just knee eyeball deep in their code all day. You know, we were rebuilding a site from scratch. So it was working with the design team and then the backend engineers. And like you mentioned, of course, there's still a lot of content production. So that's something that we definitely bring over. I managed two different content teams, one for makeup.com. And then when I launched skincare.com, I put another content team in place for that site. So I oversaw everything from the daily article content to the social posts and emails. So most editors have that solid foundation. And then it's all about layering on the other aspects of it, which it's doable. Right. That makes a whole lot of sense. And I think managing multiple stakeholders is just the way that they're presented in corporate versus editorial, because you're doing it in editorial as well the advertisers, your sales team, et cetera. You're dealing with stakeholders in that way, but you're definitely doing it 
in a more overt way when you're working on a brand and have outside agencies and technical partners to deal with. Yeah, exactly. You're dealing with more of the business aspect than you might be used to in terms of just the percentage of your time. It might even be that you're producing less content yourself, meaning I did a lot less writing in this role, but it was a lot more, you know, you still have to plan an editorial calendar, which we can all do, but then it was taking all of those learnings. This position was on the corporate team. So we use makeup.com and skincare.com as best in class examples for content and specifically for how to win an organic search in SEO. And then we share those learnings company-wide. So they're looking at you as the content expert, which as editors, we are, that's what we do. Yes, very, very true. It's really just remembering that you are an expert and but we're all bringing very useful skills to the table. How long did it take for you to like kind of master all of the different areas that you had to work on? Well, I don't know. Can you truly master digital? I feel like it's always changing. So I think it's about adapting. It's about learning. I think what's great about digital is that the data is all there. So you can really use it to improve on your content and to learn from what you're doing. But I think this role specifically at L'Oreal changed and grew and evolved so much just because of the nature of digital. You're redesigning sites and then all of a sudden you're pivoting. I was helping brands launch their blogs and then I was the liaison between them and the legal team to make sure that everything was FCC compliant. So it shifted and changed a lot. So it was great because I picked up a lot of new skills for sure. Absolutely. Sounds like it, but it sounds great. And what I love about what you're saying is that you're saying to anybody who has ever been an editorial that you can do this. The most important skill is your ability to create content and to envision the way to tell a story. And then the rest will follow. You can pick up everything else. A hundred percent. Yes. You moved from the biggest beauty company in the world to an indie brand. How was the shift like for you? Yeah. Going from L'Oreal to Pros. Everything was different. When I first joined Pros, I was one of the first 10 employees. You know, now we have hundreds. So it's going from a company that was tens of thousands. And then here I am sharing a four-person table with the CEO and another co-founder because it's such a small team. So it couldn't have been more different than going from the corporate team at L'Oreal. You know, we're building something brand new. So the culture was obviously very different. There was a sense of camaraderie and working towards the same goal, which you have that at every company, but it's so different when the brand didn't exist, you know, like we were building it from scratch and it was really fun. And I enjoyed going into work every day and we were figuring things out together and the type of work was so different instead of improving on what existed, we were really building something from the ground up. We wore all the hats. So when I started at Prose, I ran copy, editorial, and PR for the first two years. So again, these are skills that were kind of, I guess, tangential to what I was doing before, but definitely a little bit different. Like you and I have always worked with publicists, but we ourselves haven't been them. But here I am now at Prose running the PR team. Very interesting and very different. 
For people who don't know about Pros, can you tell us what, about the brand and the products? Sure. So Pros is a custom hair care company. So we launched beginning of 2018 and working as a beauty editor for so long, I can actually say that the hair products are amazing and it's a a product I've actually stuck with, which, you know, as a beauty editor, like kind of switching around and testing different things, but yeah. So the brand is a custom hair care brand that you take an online consultation and you fill out questions around your hair type and texture, where you live, your different exercise routines, ingredients that you want to stay away from. And then everything is made to order in our Brooklyn lab. That's pretty cool. So it works for everybody because you're taking a quiz and they're adapting formulas based on what the customer needs. Exactly. Yeah. So there are literally billions of versions of our products that we can make. And we started out with just three products and it was just shampoo, hair mask, conditioner, and now we have dry shampoo, we have leave-in conditioner, we have curl cream. There's really something for everyone. That's wonderful. What do you like most about what you do? So I really love storytelling. It's what I've always wanted to do from when I wanted to be Judy Bloom to when I went to journalism school. So I'm glad that I'm able to still do that and really connect with people in that way. And now in the digital age, it's even more rewarding because we can really see how people respond to a piece of content in real time. Emily and I, she's my team at Pros. We love to geek out on Google Analytics and check to see the data and the results for how content performs, especially for, let's say, an article that we think is going to do really well. Great. What do you think the unsung skill is as a storyteller? For a brand? As a storyteller for a brand, there can be many challenges. For the most part, we speak to an audience that isn't always ready to buy. For example, we could be speaking to somebody who's searching for how to use dry shampoo, but they're not necessarily looking to purchase just yet. You know, so success can be sometimes a little bit harder to measure in a brand setting. And we, as editors know how important storytelling is for brand building, for loyalty, for engagement. But the challenge can be sometimes figuring out a way to quantify that so that the rest of the organization can understand the value in it as well. Yeah, that's so true. And I think that sometimes when someone doesn't understand the value, they undervalue it. They undervalue the skill it takes to craft a story and to reach a consumer. Yes, I agree. And you find yourself always having to justify budgets, for example, or the type of content that you're producing. And you want to make sure that what you're putting out there is right for your audience. So there's always a little bit of a push and pull there. As you said earlier, you were a journalism major. What advice would you give someone who's in school for that discipline now in terms of state of journalism, and career avenues to explore? Sure. For me, there's so much value in going to journalism school and really getting a solid foundation in storytelling, learning about writing that works, speaking to your audience, identifying an angle, 
even how to package your content so that it works as a cohesive series. These are all skills that people are using now across many different platforms, whether it be online or social video. And I've needed all of these skills in both my publishing and brand content roles. And it's also even helped friends of mine who maybe went to journalism school, but they later became publicists or went on to business school or even law school. So there's so much value in having that foundation. And then I would also say, take on as many internships as your course load would allow and really stay in touch with the people that you meet there. As we talked about earlier, they could be your in for getting a dream job or really carving your path into where you want to go. Yeah. And that's key the staying in touch without being kind of a nuisance, but creating authentic relationships, I guess I would say is really important. And especially as you mentioned that internships now, you could be an intern and never actually be in the office. So creating relationships that stick matters even more in a digital age. Right. And there's so many ways to keep in touch. And like you said, it doesn't have to be in a nuisance type of way. It's make sure you're connected on LinkedIn, ask people to endorse you there, just send a check-in email every now and then. There are so many more ways to be able to keep in touch with people and to really just strengthen relationships and just keep them alive and think about how you can help others too. And that way it doesn't just feel like a one-way street. Right. Very important. For this last section, my starting five section, as we close, I'd love for you to give our listeners five tips on being a better storyteller. Even if you're not a writer in the digital age, like how can we be better storytellers? My first tip would be to know your audience. You won't meet your goals unless you're targeting the right people for your business or your website or, you know, wherever you're telling that story. So take the time to figure out who that is. From a brand side, that might be creating personas. It could also mean digging into who your content is already resonating with. And on that note, tip number two would be to use the data. It's not like, you know, when we were in print, we knew the audience we wanted to speak to, but we didn't always have the data on them that we do now you know, we know so much more about them before we're even creating that new content. We also know how the piece of content was received. So the more you can personalize what you're putting out there to the audience, the more likely it is that you'll meet your goal. And then my third tip would be to set goals. Everything you publish, whether it's video or a social post or blog article should have a measurable goal. That could be an action you want your user to take. It could be a revenue goal. It could be engagement, but really analyzing that result and seeing what's working helps you evolve and optimize your content strategy. So you can continue to create content that performs well. Four would be to invest in your creators. So you can come up with the best content strategy and have all the data to support it. But if you don't invest in the best writers or creators to execute on it, whether that's people on your actual team or freelancers that you bring on, it's not going to resonate and you're just going to fall short. 
of your goals. So as we talked about earlier, getting your executive team to invest in content can be challenging. You don't often see the direct impact, but if you set clear and measurable goals, it makes it easier to communicate what works and why you're pushing what you're pushing. And five would be to pay attention to the details. We're creating more content at larger volumes and at a faster pace now more than ever, but it's all the more reason to really take the time to pay attention to the details. And I mean that in two different ways. One, don't be sloppy. (laughs) Take the same care in your digital work as if this was a piece of content that was being printed or for long form video. Make sure there are no spelling mistakes. It sounds simple, but people notice that. So definitely take care. And then two, it's give your audience the gift of caring about your work. Go the extra mile, even if it's just for a blog article. They're bombarded with so much content all day long. And it's the content that has the wittier, snappier copy that isn't clickbait. Just the quality of the content is what's going to make them come back and eventually help to grow your site or your social platform or YouTube channel, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to create and really eventually get to the point that you want to get to. Well, Amanda, those are some amazing tips. And I think they're applicable to people at every stage of their careers because we all need to be storytellers. And those of us who have been professional storytellers need to continue to adapt to the way that the industries and the audience consume content. Yeah. I mean, really storytelling is about connecting with your audience. It's putting yourself in their shoes. What do they want to see? What do they want to read? What do they want to hear? And if you can really get that right and use the tools that are at your disposal to do it, then you've won. And it's a constant evolution. So stay on top of the data, stay on top of your learnings and keep evolving, keep optimizing and have fun with it. Yeah. Well, Amanda, I can't thank you enough for being my guest. This is really like a good lesson for so many people, not only about your career journey, just hearing about your career journey and the value you got everywhere you went. And it's also about adapting your skills and learning new things and being a constant student. So thank you so much for being here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure to chat all of this and kind of reminisce about where my career's taken me. So appreciate you having me on. Thanks for listening to the Start Right Here podcast. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe, rate, or review our show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or share it with a friend. Remember, there is more than one way to the top, but all that is required is for you to take the first step. So we invite you to start right here. Remember to check out our newsletter, The Last Word from Start Right Here. On it, we offer additional information on taking a seat at the table or building one when it comes to beauty and inclusion. You can go to thebeautytable.substack.com or check the link in the show notes.